How about this fucking team right here? Dustin Brown, short-handed for LA. Score! Here is Goligoski. He gets leveled at the blue line by Dowdy. Food for it, cheer for uh, kind of like it. Richard throws it in front. Carter scores! Well done, boy. There's some swagger. Push down to shove. We're going to get it done. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Thanks Bud Podcast. I am Chanel Berlin. And I'm Diane Fan. This week, kind of a rough week for the Kings. Like some really, a really cool, positive moment. And then three losses. So uh, that's too bad. It's, it's kind of weird like that because it's, it's technically a sad week for the Kings, but not really because the one win that they did get was a 4-0 shutout that clinched their spot in the playoffs. And also kind of weird because I feel like actually the worst game of the four was this last one. and But because it happened after the Phoenix game, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme. Uh, yeah, now is going to be a lot of uh, games where I'm just like, yeah, that happened, but... They could have done better, but also I don't care. And also, I, even with their like loss yesterday, at least they weren't the Sharks, who got shut out 3 nothing against the Nashville Predators. So it could have been worse. It's both great and horrible watching the last bits of the season um, with all of these teams who are, you know, mathematically eliminated from, from being in the playoffs just continue to play their asses off. And so just mm-hmm. to give horrifying losses to teams <laughs> yeah. that are supposed to be good. And I'm saying, that I, I'm well aware, we're recording this on a Sunday. I am saying this before the Kings play Calgary. So I'm just asking True. for it um, at this point. But, you know, and then the Oilers. And, you know, I don't know why I'm even saying these things. I just, there's something really funny about teams that are just like, no, whatever, let's do this and just destroy people. I think it's always interesting to see, too, the teams that, even though they know they're eliminated, kind of get into ruining it for other teams who are still trying to make it, which I feel uh, was, I mean, we'll get into King stuff, obviously, right in a minute here. But just to bring up, like, I think was um, sort of evident in a quote from Taylor Hall the other day, they had a game that, um, and his comment was, you know, it would be nice to win this to give Dallas a better chance of being in the playoffs. Like, because Sean Horkoff is on that team, it would be great to see him in the playoffs. So the Oilers literally playing just to ruin it for other people. See, that's my favorite kind of thing, though. Like, that's just kind, not really. I mean, they're still playing to win because, you know, they still want to win. But um, the, the dick move kind of thing is the best not that they wouldn't try hard you know for other games but trying particularly hard so that they can screw someone else out of a wild card spot um is excellent especially since dallas would overtake uh the phoenix coyote spot yeah um and i support that in any way shape and form so that we never have to see the phoenix coyotes again i mean unfortunately next year it'll be the arizona coyotes but literally we'll never see the phoenix coyotes again (laughs) Yeah, I have made it kind of clear, like, the last game preview I had to write about the Coyotes, I just find them so uninteresting. And so if I don't have to watch them in the playoffs, more is the better for me. All right, so the Kings, though, just to update everybody, their record is 45-28-6. They have three more games left on the season. So like we've already said, this doesn't really matter as far as making the playoffs. They're going to make it now. They're, they've clinched a berth. What they're playing for, if anything, at this point is, um, A, not to get hurt, but also just what it could possibly do for them when it comes to awards. So if the Kings, or just like milestones. So if they win two more games, 
before the end of the regular season, they will have set a new record for most wins in the regular season by any Kings team um, in franchise history. So here is my question. Knowing the Kings and how much they like to both overachieve and underachieve at the very same time, which seems to at least be the theme of this season, how likely do we think it is that they will actually manage to win two more games? I don't think it's likely. I think that they're going to lose to Calgary and Edmonton, the garbage teams, and then eke out a win against the Anaheim Ducks. Oh, to I can be see just, it so clearly. Just to like, just not have that franchise win and be like, oh, you're going to put effort into the last game of the season against the Ducks who you're not going to play against in the playoffs um, and lose to Edmonton and Calgary? Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can see that happening so clearly that I'm kind of just anticipating it, which makes me feel kind of like a douche because it's like, well, why would I, you know, bet against the Kings? But they've done it all season. They're really good at tying records and not breaking them. So we were so optimistic for so long and now just cycling back. Done hoping. (laughs) Done hoping for it. I will save any hope I have, I guess, for um, the playoffs because I'm going to need it because it looks like the first round, because the Sharks are dedicated to playing the Kings in the first round, that it's going to be um, a tough matchup there. I, in my heart of hearts, think that they'll win two more games, but I'm just preparing myself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for them to let you down there. Yes. Uh, The other thing that they are kind of playing for is the Jennings Trophy. So they let in two goals last night, which means I think that they're still... um, One off. Yeah, one less goal against than the Boston Bruins. So there's um, three more games for them, and if they can manage not to let in too many more goals, or if, like, Jonathan Quick does everybody a favor, or Martin Jones, if he plays one of these last three games and just gets another shutout or something, that would really put them in a position, hopefully, to claim this Jennings Trophy for um, fewest goals against by any team in the league. I, I actually really want them to win that one because they have played really well defensively, and it would be nice to see them rewarded for that in some way. I would love for them to win it if only, and I don't have a particular beef against the Bruins at all, but to take it away from the Bruins, um, because the Bruins are already, you know, leading the league still, I believe. Um, They're going to get the President's Trophy most likely. They're going to get all of of the trophies, uh, at least give the Kings this, but I don't know how likely that's going to be. If you look at the Bruins' schedule coming up, they play the Wild, the Jets, the uh, Sabres and uh, the New Jersey Devils. But at the same time, like on paper anyway, we all know what trouble they've had against like Calgary the, or and, and the Ducks this season. But on paper, the Kings uh, remaining schedule isn't that bad either. So it's kind of, it's just up in the air. And, and I hope the Kings come out on the winning side of it. Yeah, hopefully this won't be, I mean, I just uh, predicted a one game just missing their franchise record <laughs> as long as it's not a one goal just missing the Jennings Trophy. I think that that would be the worst. Yeah, that would make me really sad. That would make me really upset. (laughs) I just want them to win the Jennings. That would make me feel pretty nice. Even though, technically, like, two of the people who've been instrumental in that, um, Barton Jones and Ben Scrivens, obviously, who's no longer with the Kings, wouldn't be able to really share in it officially because they haven't played enough games in the season to hold up that trophy with Jonathan Quick. All right, so let's talk about this Vancouver game because it managed to be kind of ridiculous with without but without being as ridiculous as pretty much every other game that these two teams have played, which I thought was 
kind of impressive in the worst way. <laughs> it was just a different kind of insane. Um, because, like, going through the past four Vancouver games, there were two that were kind of normal. You know, there weren't a ton of penalties. It was whatever. Uh, but then there were the other two games where people were just fighting left, right, and center. You know, it was just a slugfest between everyone. Um, and then this game... Well, first, it was baffling that there wasn't a single penalty going through the first period and uh, part of the second. Uh, but then the Kings, the Kings made up for that very, very quickly, <laughs> as the as the Kings do. And uh, there was there was bloodshed, but not the bloodshed we thought that there was going to be. And there was physicality, but I don't know if riding someone like a pony was exactly <laughs> what I had in mind when I was like, it's going to get physical in this uh, Vancouver game. Then it just got weird, actually. Yeah, it just got really strange. So, yeah, first there was Dustin Brown and Daniel Sadid toppling over each other randomly. It wasn't even, like, an aggressive play, necessarily. It was just, like, some shenanigans, some random slapstick comedy. And then that was repeated when Ryan Kessler and Jarrett Stoll collided, and Ryan Kessler ended up on Jarrett Stoll's head. And the weird thing about that, like, I mean, Ryan Kessler riding Jarrett Stoll's head is weird. But the added weirdness to that is that Ryan Kessler would have gotten up a lot quicker if Jarrett Stoll hadn't been holding his stick. So, Jarrett Stoll, what are you trying to accomplish there? Um, Why do you want to keep this dude on your head longer? It was really funny to me just because, uh, so you could see that Stoll was holding Kessler's stick. And so uh, once the kind the puck was away and the play was over and they were free to skate uh, away, and Stoll was keeping him back. Kessler kept tugging to, like, pull his stick loose. And it was just, like, a really amusing state because he is still on top of Jarrett Stoll's head. And yet he's making a weird, vague jerking off motion because he's trying to pull a stick away. And just, like, essentially bouncing on uh, Jarrett yeah, Stoll's head. And I'm like, Jared what Stoll's is head. happening <laughs> right now? This is this makes no sense. And, like, the camera guys we're focusing on that because they're correct. Like, who cares about yeah. what's going on in the play? <laughs> Let's when see what's going on. This here. <laughs> nonsense is happening in the corner. Um, but yeah, that was that was a really bizarre move on uh, Jared Stoll's part. Yeah, and then after, like, like you said, there weren't any actual periods, or sorry, there weren't any actual penalties during that first period, and then like three of them got piled on top of each other halfway through the second period. Because, of course, it was like somebody had mentioned to them, "Wow, you guys are doing pretty well so far," and then they were like, "Wait a second. Wait. Um, started with a really dumb penalty when uh, Matt Green accidentally sent the puck uh, out and drew a delay of game penalty. And then right Contract after... Delay of game penalty. Yeah, and then right after, Kevin Bieksa got a roughing on Trevor Lewis, but Trevor Lewis ducked, so nothing actually... Nothing actually happened. It was not even effective roughing. <laughs> it was just weird. So uh, you know, that was, uh, sorry about that, I guess, Vancouver. You know, that was our bad. Or I guess it's the refs bad, but definitely not roughing on Trevor Lewis at all. Because I would have been furious. Right. So so weird things. And then not related to penalties, Matt Greed gets hit with a puck and then starts bleeding all over the place on the ice. Just cool with it for a while. He skated for a while before It was baffling both as I was watching and obviously I watched the the Hockey Night in Canada stream of it and so that play happened you know they said he blocked a shot blah blah whatever and then uh, a whistle blew and it was time for a little break and they're like oh there's a little bit of delay here wait the ice people are coming out wait why and then shoot to blood on the ice and they're like oh (laughs) things have happened and then you know you go back and you look at all the footage 
and there's a that like a terrifying shot of just Matt Green's foot just covered in blood, the outside, the bottom of the skate, just like he stepped in paint somewhere. And nobody really knew what happened for the longest time. And especially since uh, it like it's on the outside of his skate and like under it. So like, where is that coming from? Did is, is he just in a, a blood skate? And it's just, like, oozing over the top. Did it just happen to, like, splash around? Like, it was bizarre. Yeah, Matt just casually bleeding to death, and it was <laughs> fine. The best reference, of course, was yes. a friend of a friend of Thanks Buds um, tweeted out the quote from Romeo Michelle's high school reunion about where she's like, you know, excuse me because I cut my foot before and now my shoe is filling up with blood. Literally, Matt Green on the ice last night was having that issue. Um, so you see, yeah, so he went back to the dressing room and I guess got stitched up and came right back out. Um, and so it was it was fine. I guess it wasn't a big deal, but it was still very strange and bizarre to uh, because it, there was a delay of game for a while. And then during every um, sort of stoppage of play, they went back to it to continue to CSI what had gone on or like whose blood it was. Like, when did that happen? They're like, did he get is that like a skate that cut him or is it this block shot that happened or what have you? Um, so a lot of focus on that, <laughs> which makes sense because this was a kind of a boring game. At the end of the game, or towards the very end of the game, Edler tries to check Marion Gabrick, but gets his head, and then there's no call, and then eventually the Canucks score a goal, which ends up being the game-winning goal, and after that goal is scored, Jonathan Quick just, you know, takes his rage out on the crossbar. So a little bit of shenanigans at the end of the game. Lots of, like, like little incidents that were like, this feels appropriate for a Kings-Canucks game, but also this game is kind of weirdly somber and boring. What is happening? Yeah, I was only half watching this game, and and to continue with, like, the weird incidents, uh, I, I guess this is part of every game, but, you know, you just start to notice them when nothing else is happening. Um, Jeff Carter uh, gets a hooking call on, on Daniel Sedin, but it was such an obvious, like, dive yeah, that it was yeah. like it was a it was a bad dive. Like by all means, try to dive and pull the, and uh, get that penalty. Um, but it was just it was super terrible. Uh, the only good part was, of course, Jeff Carter laughing about it or being annoyed by it and flashing his uh, toothless grin at the camera. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of weird things happening. And I kind of I'll, I'll, I'm not gonna lie, I like when goalies rage out. I think it's funny. Uh. I was, yeah, I was uh, so I appreciate it. I think it's that. especially hilarious when Jonathan Quick does it. At uh, this time, I think he did it in a game in a game against the Wild, and uh, just like shattered his stick or like broke his stick. I remember that. That was yeah. There that was, was also that game, and I can't remember what team it was against. So I should probably go look that up. But whatever. He where he like there was a call made, and he got really angry, and he like talked a bunch of crap to the ref, and then got uh, called for abuse of the <laughs> officials. So I shouldn't laugh, when, I'm sorry. <laughs> whenever, it, it doesn't happen that often, like, Jonathan Quick is kind of a little troublemaker, he likes to sort of trip at guys who get in his crease and whatever, but occasionally he will just have these moments where he just rages out and he draws penalties for it because it's just so over the top like he clearly just is like i don't care i'm mad right now like who like you chased down a ref that one time and like cursed him out so much that he was like okay that's a line guy 
what up? Or like last night where he was like apparently, you know, throwing his stick around and shouting and gotten in sportsmanlike conduct penalty. Or during the uh, the stadium series game where the second the whistle, like intent to blow status, like the second the ref looked like he was about to blow the whistle, Jonathan Quick just shot out of his net and went to go uh, get whoever it was. Yeah. or I don't know, yeah. I forget who it was, uh, just to yell at them in the corner. Yeah, who it turned out, like, on the replays or whatever, that that guy didn't even do what oh, no. he thought he had done. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> I never said that Jonathan Quick was in the right for this. I'm just saying he <laughs> likes to go out and cause trouble. Well, yeah, uh, that's why it's funny. Jonathan Quick wants somebody to fight him so badly or just get all up in his face. Nobody will do it. <laughs> or it's, when it's, uh, in the Detroit game... Right before the Olympics, and someone and right. Jimmy Howard were just sitting on Kyle Clifford, and Jonathan Quick took great offense to that. Did a whole like bumped chest. I think we talked about it. Where like he was a Z snap away from just slapping, yeah, uh, yeah. Jimmy Howard, which would have been amazing. And uh, in the Sharks game that was earlier, um, Voynov and Thornton, you know, got got into it in front of the Kings bench. And everyone leans forward, everyone wants to see what's going on, know what's going on, make sure that they don't have to, you know, retaliate or anything. Jonathan Quick basically just, like, lunges over the, uh, <laughs> like, the railing just to make sure that he can see what's going on, because 100%. He's like, is it going to turn into a line brawl? Will I, ta- will I just take the automatic suspension of games and just jump and just fight someone because oh, I man. want to? He's like, tag me in, tag me in, Slava. I'm yeah. in there. <laughs> I want to fight a person. I can't wait for the day where he actually finds someone who will hit him back, because I think it's going to be a really wonderful, exciting day. Uh, not not because I think fighting is like wholly necessary, but because this dude clearly just wants to find the right reason to go, and, and whenever he finds it, it's going to be so entertaining. What sucks though is like he can really only fight another goalie. Yeah, you know everyone else. If they are are spoiling for a fight, they can you know choose a person, make sure they want to go, and then go. But there's not going to be a skater that's going to start wailing on a goalie. And a goalie can't really start wailing on just, like, a random defenseman. So he uh, just is trying to to spark up uh, everyone's tempers a little bit so that there can be some sort of line brawl and he can punch a person. One day. One day it's going to happen. And I am so ready for it. Yes. So ready. So that's five minutes on us wanting Jonathan quick to fight. <laughs> Literally nothing else. I think about it a lot. We talk about it pretty frequently. We like, always want people to get Gordy Howe uh, hat tricks because <laughs> we want to see people fight other people. We say that we don't care about fighting, but for, for us not really caring about whether fighting is in or out of uh, the hockey game, we really do like watching uh, certain people get into fights. No, only when it's like particular people and, and like they don't really do it a lot. Like the other day when both Jeff Carter and Tanner Pearson had goals and assists in the same game, somebody should have fought them a little bit just just to give them Gordy Howe. Like that would be pretty great. <laughs> I think. I agree. Oh, you know I agree. So, um, but okay, so a- about the actual gameplay in the Canucks game, a positive that happened in this game is Slava Voinov scored the only goal for the Kings and it was his first goal since November. That he had forgotten about. I mean, I knew he hadn't scored in a while because we were like, give it to Slava. Uh, we've said it in past games, uh, hoping that he would, you know, get a goal, but did not realize that it was a 60-game goal drought. That is quite a, quite a thing. Apparently the last time he scored a goal was against the Islanders forever ago. <laughs> so I'm glad that he got a goal. And I mean, not to like crap all over him because he actually has assisted goals since then. He's like gotten points. He just hasn't been the person to find the back of the net himself. 
So finally he has again. And uh, hopefully that gets him going because, of course, as we all know, Slava Voinov set that new record for how many times a defenseman has scored during the playoffs. It would be great if he could repeat that. So um, let's see more goals from Slava. Maybe this is just uh, getting him started, you know. Now is the time that he needs to start scoring goals and he'll just uh, go crazy. Or or Robin Regeer can pick up his slack. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah, Robin Regeer can just, you know... Send a few more than that. He, uh, interestingly, he also, uh, I was just actually just going to bring this up. So because they've only got a few more games left, they're starting to rest guys a little bit who have played the majority of the games this season and who probably need like an off day or whatever. So like uh, Dwight King has apparently been having some issues and he hasn't played a little bit. Uh, Robin Regeer took a game off and um, Drew Doughty suffered a hit in the game against the San Jose Sharks, and instead of playing him with a upper body injury, which I think someone said it was his shoulder, yeah, um, they are just letting him rest a game. And it sounds like the way they're talking about it, it sounds like all these guys aren't severely injured, but it's like let's rest them and be careful now so that they can put in as much energy as they need to when the playoffs start because they're going to have that first tough round. And also last season, that was the thing that eventually got them knocked out and allowed them not to compete as well as they could have against Chicago was that by the time they reached that Western Conference final series, they had been beaten up so much. So they just want to make sure that guys are as healthy as possible. So no Drew Doughty in this Vancouver game, meaning that the Kings called up a defenseman, Andrew Campbell. He played his first NHL game. What did you think of Andrew Campbell, Diane? He played a game. I <laughs> <laughs> literally had no. Like, one, the game was so uninter- uninteresting, and he wasn't any shining beacon of... Like, I remember him getting a shot on goal. Aww. That was fun. <laughs> literally nothing else. I think he had a bad turnover that led to a goal. He was not very good, uh, uh, numbers-wise, but... anyway. I mean, not... It's not entirely surprising because it was his first game, but he, of all of the people on the ice, was the worst in terms of possession, but not to, like, I don't know, lay that problem at his feet because everybody was kind of bad. Actually, in that Vancouver game, the only line that actually did any real consistent work was the top line. So everybody was kind of bad, but Andrew Campbell was not helping either. But, uh... Glad that he got to play his first NHL game. He wore the number 81, which surprised me because I didn't realize that Kings players chose numbers in the 80s. I've, I looked in, like, the history of it. I think only, like, four players have ever worn an 80-something. Um, and it's I don't, I don't believe that there were names that were at all significant. So, uh, yeah, I mean... Cool legacy. <laughs> go march into the beat of his own drummer, sure, 81. You can have it, Andrew Campbell. Exciting for him. He had been, or he's been with the Monarchs and in the King system for six years. So he's the captain. Yeah, glad that he got a chance to uh, play at the NHL level, but I don't know if we'll see him stick around. So that was uh, all of the events from a game that actually overall didn't feel that eventful. Other games that happened, though, I was actually confused because they, the game that they played before that was against San Jose Sharks. I was very confused by that game because I didn't understand what the Sharks were doing. The Sharks, it turned out, decided to be more like the Canucks and allowed the Kings to completely dominate them in possession and the kind of things that the Sharks are literally, or usually, a little more like neck and neck with the Kings on. 
But they decided, mm, we're going to fight. And, like, that Joe Thornton quote, he was like, I just wanted to hit something. It sounded very Fight Club unnecessarily. I don't, it was weird. Yeah, that was a weird game. I did not know why. They're like, oh, you know, we were going to match their physicality. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> why? But, but why? And for what purpose? Like, this is, if there was ever a time to be like, now is not the time, I feel like this would be one of them. Did it make you feel any different about the inevitable Kings-Sharks playoff matchup for the quarterfinals? It honestly, I, it sucks that they lost, but it made me feel nice because obviously the Kings have gotten under the Sharks' skin, or they feel like that they have to step outside of their comfort zone. They couldn't just, you know, no one was like, oh, we're just going to play our game and, you know, blow. They're like, oh, we're going to, you know, match them physical for physical or what have you. And uh, so that was kind of an interesting look into how they're planning to deal with the Kings. And uh, whether or not it works, I'm not sure. There's nothing wrong with the the way they play. There's nothing wrong with not being, like, you know, everyone has different playing styles, but it was interesting to see that they decided to go that route and not just, you know, head down and play the game that they usually play. I think when teams react to the Kings like that, because I feel like that's how the Blues react to them as well. The Blues in general are a more physical team and a lot of people think a really kind of dirty team in a lot of times. But I think when the when opponents decide to turn up the physicality against the Kings, then they completely miss what the actual point of the way the Kings play is. Like everybody likes to talk about, oh, they play a heavy game. Oh, you know, they're a tough team. They're very physical. Yes, that is a part of their system. But the physicality has not been what has helped the Kings be so successful the last few years. Like, they're the top possession team. You know why they succeed? Because they have the puck and you don't. And they're very good generally, unless they're having a bad night, they're generally very good in their zone about breakouts and whatnot. Over this last stretch, they've even gotten a lot better about using less dump and chase hockey and entering the zone with control. So when teams are like, oh, if we want to take on the Kings and match them, we have to hit more. No, thanks for being wrong. Yeah, so I I really did not enjoy the fact that Randy Hahn and Drew Remenda were the the national broadcasters for this game. I don't have a huge problem with Drew Remenda, but I do not like Randy Hahn very much. But Remenda made a very good point as, you know, the Sharks broadcaster, who was just like, yeah, so it looks like the the San Jose Sharks are stepping up their hitting game. But the thing is, um, if you're doing a lot of the hitting, that means you don't have the puck. Right. So, you know, what there's not really a purpose for that. Yeah, I think the team, or I think the Kings being a physical team is part of their identity because they happen to have a lot of big guys who hit well. But they don't actually have to, that's not the whole point of them, because the point of them is that they have the puck a lot. <laughs> um, and I feel like if you miss that, then you completely miss where your actual opportunity is for ever really competing with them in a playoff series in particular. Because it's like, where a team like the Sharks is trying really hard to be more physical, the Kings are just physical you know, naturally, that's part of who they are, but they also are really good at the other things that the Sharks try to be good at, which is things like possession and getting shots. So, uh, good luck, I guess. Like, it just seems like a really bad plan for the postseason for the Sharks, but that's fine with me because it means that the Kings have more of an advantage. Yeah, I'm I'm fine if the Sharks are grasping at straws as to how they want to deal with all of the teams, or like the, the playoffs that are coming up in this weird way, because like we said, they got shut out by uh, the Preds. 
uh, yesterday. So, I mean, I'm fine with them continuing down the spiral. Same. I feel good about it. So that was that weird game, which was actually won because of Martin Jones having a mistake, which is not going to happen a bunch in the playoffs, I hope. Because he won't be playing a bunch in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that's not why. I mean, we've all seen Jonathan Quick make some uh, puck errors in the playoffs. I just hope oh, that won't be happening. <laughs> it was so <laughs> funny because in the, the Vancouver game yesterday, uh, they kept the Hockey Night in Canada, Canada broadcasters kept laughing about how um, Jonathan Quick handling the puck behind the net wasn't really helping out his defensemen. Or oh, like, so oh, get bad. back in the net. Your, stick, your, your puck handling skills are not great. You know, just, uh, just continue to park yourself, park your butt in the net. And that always makes me laugh. <laughs> He's terrible at handling the puck. Like, does anybody ever practice with him? Like, I, I, I'm glad he realizes what his strengths are. But if you're going to at least have to come out of the net sometimes, like, just can you get better at it? I don't, I just don't understand why it's this bad so consistently. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird, I, every, so it's, it's not without uh, merit that we're always just tense. Or yelling, get back in the net when he decides to skate out. It makes us all nervous. That's why when uh, the first few times I saw Ben Skirvin's play, I was it was extremely stressful because that dude is very active behind mm-hmm. his net and whatnot. And I have been burned way too many times by Jonathan Quick to really be able to tolerate things like that. But he uh, he's not as bad. So it, was, it ended up being okay for the most part. But definitely gave me some heart palpitations at first. Well, in in a little, like, a side note, um, to just veer off topic for just a moment, uh, that's kind of how, like, Pavlik is right now, because I forget when it was, probably yesterday, I assume, he played a puck behind the net and just mishandled it terribly. Uh, this was against Felice, and it was just hilarious because he saw that he wasn't going to control it, did not, no hustle, nothing no. at all. He was just like, eh, okay, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna get this goal now. It's not a big yeah. deal. So, <laughs> right. I guess I'm gonna casually make my way back into my net. Okay, so the other game, so the game before the Sharks game was excellent for the Kings. That four nothing shutout of the Phoenix Coyotes, which is great because the Kings have had some trouble against the Coyotes for a lot of this season. Not, not that game. They killed them. <laughs> that game. It was amazing. It was awesome. I very much enjoyed it. And great goals from everybody. Jeff Carter got a goal. Tanner Pearson. Tanner Pearson had a great goal. Loved his goal. Just Kopitar had an excellent goal, too, with like a cross-ice feed from uh, Gabrick. That was also excellent. It was, uh, we talked about this, Diane and I, uh, on our own, but just so I put it out there, I watched that Kopitar goal over and over and over again because... The Kings power play has suffered a lot this season. It's been, you know, better lately. But that sequence where it was like Jeff Carter won the faceoff, and then it goes back to Voinov, Voinov to Martinez, Martinez to Gabrick, Gabrick to Kopitar, and in the net. It was just so, everybody just did exactly what they needed to do and executed it exactly the right way. And it was awesome to watch. (laughs) So I've watched that goal like 20 times. I've watched the goal multiple times and also continued onwards to the uh, the group hug because Andre Kopitar does like the the punching motion towards Jeff Carter and then he makes like a face at Marion Gabrick. He's just so delighted by this goal that he just scored that I love it. Andre Kopitar is the most charming human being. It is problematic <laughs> because 
<laughs> I just want to shout about it constantly, and people will think I'm insane, but he is the best. He is pretty darn great. Score goals and be happy constantly, because he is so delightful. Yeah, seriously, I recommend everyone going to uh, rewatch that goal and just watch them be happy. Yeah, the King's objective every game really should be to play really well so and also get Ajay Kopitar a goal or whatever, just so that he will be compelled to smile and dance <laughs> like he does when he's real happy. Because why wouldn't you want to see that all the time? That's amazing. Like that time that he did the uh, the overtime goal during uh, the playoffs or whatever in, <laughs> in 2012, and he did like a weird gallop dance? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That happened. That was great. He's great. More of that. So yeah, (laughs) watch that forever and think about the best of times, which is moments like that when Kopitar is so happy that he will dance and also punch you playfully and just be a general, like, spark of sunshine. Oh, so great. Love Andre Kopitar. The, uh, what was the game before that? Oh, the game against the Wild. The Kings lost. The I don't know. I didn't want to talk about things. That game was boring. The Wild are boring. <laughs> it's really okay, I was going to say, I, I hope we can only spend like two minutes on this. Uh, it sucks that they snapped the King's streak. It was boring. The end, I guess. The only good thing <laughs> yeah. that was that came of that was that uh, Alec Martinez scored a goal, which I always mm-hmm. like. And then Justin Williams scored a goal off of a really patient um, and smart pass from Marion Gabrick. It's amazing to watch Gabrick when he's in um, like the slot like that or something. He's just very smart <laughs> about being around the net, and I think that pass was like a good example of it. So that's just let's pretend that that's all that happened. Yeah, that's that was uh, that's what I liked from that game on Monday um, before any of these games happened. I Sean O'Donnell was on the radio broadcast for Hockey Night Canada. I found what he said really interesting because they talked a little bit. They talked a little bit about a couple things. The first was Jonathan Quick, because that um, Winnipeg game had just happened, and the save that he had at the end of that, where it was very deliberate, him on his stomach, and he you know kicked his leg up and um, deflected that shot, which was awesome. But he talked a little bit about how the sometimes what the strongest thing Jonathan Quick is capable of is not even necessarily being there for every shot, but having saves like that that are very deliberate and impressive, that it kind of starts to get into the heads of people who shoot at the net, that they start having to think they have to have the perfect shot or something, otherwise nothing is going to work. And then that actually works in the King's favor because people end up taking crazy shots or weaker shots or whatnot. They talked about that uh, during the Vancouver game last night as well, in that Jonathan Quick is just so good at predicting what's going to happen. He's so fast, and he's just, you know, generally constantly in position that he, and he loves coming out and, you know, taking away the lane, um, or taking away an angle. And they talk about how he forces players to make a decision faster than they would like. Time is running out, you guys. You have to make a shot, and... You know, for the most part, everyone says you can't really shoot in the bottom half of the the goal against Jonathan Quick because he's got that pretty well covered. Uh, you always have to kind of shoot it up top. Um, and yeah, he's just very aggressive. He's an aggressive goalie who uh, makes forces players to think quicker than they might be used to. Clearly, I mean, I think you can see it in games that that's then the situation where he's most effective. Because as a Kings fan, because we watch their games all the time, we can name plenty of goals that Jonathan Quick has given up that have been less than stellar, totally soft goals or whatever. But when he's on his game and when he is most effective, it is when he seems to get into the heads of people and they have to think a little quicker or move a little faster than they're really comfortable with. And then 
he does make those highlight reel saves over and over again, it seems like, in the same game, because guys just aren't thinking the way that they should be in order to be effective against him. And so it was, it's always uh, fascinating to me to hear people talk about it, especially when it is someone like Sean, Sean O'Donnell, who's both played with him and now has had the um, opportunity to watch the Kings play constantly working with the broadcast team. The second thing, though, that was interesting to me because I hadn't really thought about it at all was they got into this conversation about the idea of what a dynasty would be in hockey today, especially in the salary cap era where teams are constantly having to make moves and it's very unlikely that you're just going to have like a team of all-stars for a very, very long time. So what do you even categorize as a dynasty in a salary cap era? And of course, the easiest example to point to would be like teams that manage, like you're probably not going to see very many, if any, teams win back-to-back, but teams that can make it to the final rounds or win a couple Stanley Cups in a very short amount of time with, like, the Chicago Blackhawks being the team closest to that right now, and maybe the Boston Bruins who have won and who've been back to the final and who look poised to go back to the final now, or the Kings who have gone deep two years in a row and they were saying that if they managed to win a cup this year or a cup next year, then they would also have to be part of that conversation. And I thought that was really interesting. Do you, I mean, I don't know, like if you had to think of a team that you would call a dynasty or maybe even just on the brink of being a dynasty, like what, what, what would you think of? What would make you include a team in that kind of category? Um, I don't know. I think I, we all sort of think about Chicago right now. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of the core guys that are still there. Kind of Boston is, is angling their way towards towards something like that. I just think it's too soon. Um, or or maybe it's just one of those things where, like you said, it's in the, the salary cap era, our ideas of dynasties have to change. You know, it's, it's not the same that, like, it was before. So I really think it's a little bit too soon to tell what's a dynasty, I suppose. It's just maintaining your core group of guys and continuing to make it... Um, through like fairly deep and make it into the postseason every year but um yeah I don't know I don't know what counts as a as a dynasty these days I know that there was a lot of people just because so the Kings won the cup and then they went deep um into the playoffs last year um and you know there were some Kings fans already calling it a dynasty and I know there were people that they got some flack for that yeah because it's been two seasons after, right. you know, a period of really, really shitty Kings hockey. So, you know, when can you really say? I mean, I, I feel like we've watched that happen over in Chicago. Like, I definitely think that if anyone's close or if anyone is a dynasty, that's going to be the one that's that I'm going to point towards. But I don't know. I suppose if they want a cup in the next two seasons and it's mostly the same group of guys that stay that stick around and are uh, prominent uh, during those runs, then yeah, you can kind of call it call it a dynasty. Um, maybe when people start taking hometown discounts to stick around, stay at the club. It's interesting to think about, I think because, like you said, it's only been two years, really, of notable success for the Kings because they've gone so deep in the playoffs. And But at the same time, like this season, we did have that period where people were like, all right, I don't know what's happening. They're losing all the time. Like, they're still not a team that is crazy great during the regular season and kills it during the postseason also. So 
I, I agree that I think the teams that are closest to that are Chicago and Boston. And I do wonder what it would take for the Kings to really become a legitimate part of that conversation. Because I also think, like, even with all of that, they don't get a whole lot of attention until it's like, you know, they are on, like, a hockey night in Canada and people have to talk about them. Then, then like, interestingly, broadcasters and stuff are like, oh, yeah, the, t- the Kings are always good. They're, like, a tough team that you have to face in the West. I wouldn't want to face the Kings. And then it's like they get some respect, but they're not a team that's in the conversation, whether it's about being part of a dynasty or whether it's, you know, about being just a favorite in the league very regularly at all. So I feel like they're in a weird position. So it's kind of fascinating to have them be sort of on the brink of this, like, NHL greatness, potentially, if they manage to keep going deep and win a cup again in the next two years. But also at the same time where they're still not a team that people think about very much. (laughs) They kind of have to work... uh not to cry like about and complain about things but they i think they have to work just a little bit harder to yeah. be noticed to be a little bit better uh, more consistently cuz you'll always uh you know write off a, a bad season or like that sucks but for a lot of east coast or fairly uh, more popular teams i suppose um and it's it's kind of okay but i think the kings will have to be like if if the kings have a bad season it's like oh well you know this is their true makeup like it's coming like, you're now seeing what the Kings are when, you know, in reality, it's just a bad season or it was just a, a bad playoff run or whatever it is. You know, it happens to everyone. You know, the the Blackhawks were bounced early, you know, a couple of years ago, but no one's saying that they're a bad team. Yeah, they were bounced early twice between <laughs> their two cup wins. Yeah. So it was like cup win, quarterfinal, uh, knockout, quarterfinal, knockout, cup win. So it's not like they were killing it the whole time either. Yeah, so, uh, but I, I feel like because it is the whole California hockey, LA doesn't care about hockey, uh, all of that, um, it, it you might have to work just a little bit harder to secure uh, any sort of dynasty, dynasty status. Do you think, um, and I'm just thinking of this really, but because we've touched on this, I don't know if on the podcast, but definitely in our own conversations, about the idea of, like, the Kings not really having a single or, like a like, a key pair, like, face of the franchise type of thing. Is it, do you think that could possibly be part of what hinders them is the idea that maybe they don't have like this PR identity that's like easily accessible for people? Like they don't have those two players who are like always killing it. They don't, I mean, they've built a narrative around Jonathan Quick because of what he did during that 2011-12 season. And by them, I actually mean everybody else. Like when they point to the Kings, it's like, oh, they've got Jonathan Quick in that. But like Jonathan Quick had that career season, but right now that season that's what it is, is a career season. Like, he hasn't reproduced those numbers since then. So he's not a guy who is just, like, Lundquist, who's just, like, knocking out save percentages that are insane every season. So do you think that hurts them, too, like, in how people might view the Kings? I don't know if it hurts them, because for people who care about hockey, I don't know if it matters. Um, whether you have, I mean, obviously it'd be nice for the Kings to have consistency and someone who kind of rises to the, he's always great. He's always, you know, saying smart things about the club or, you know, whatever. But, um, the LA media isn't clamoring for there to be a face of the franchise. You know, if like Chicago media or Philly media or Boston media or all of Canada or whatever it is. They're always going to need guys to, you know, come and be like, you know, what, what are the, what's your hockey club all about? And 
you know, say these words about what's going on. I don't know if that really matters in Los Angeles. And that in, might affect things like awards and, and, you know, subjective voting about things like that because, things uh, you know, there's not a lot of media, so they might not get noticed. But that shouldn't matter in regards to what I think truly matters is them playing good hockey. So, and I, and I feel like a lot of the guys kind of like the anonymity of it. Oh, for sure. You know, I th- think, there, there are some know. people who like the spotlight and so are in these places and sometimes it's bad for them, but for the most part, they enjoy doing that. But in, uh, what it seems like in Los Angeles, everyone, everyone does their media part, but no one is clamoring for the spotlight. They are, as, uh, I remember in that interview with, um, or about Dustin Brown and like Sports Illustrated, where they were called Daryl Sutter's awesome quiet guys. <laughs> so that's what the Kings are. And they seem comfortable in that. And even in recently, there was that post about Andre Kopitar getting recognition in the Selkie race. And the quote from him about how, like, you know, he's cool with not always being included among names like Jonathan Taves and Patrice Bergeron, Sidney Crosby, because it's less pressure for him in his game. So he can just do what he wants, you know, needs to do for the team and focus on that. So that's cool. Like, I don't need any of them to be stars for sure. But I I do think it sort of puts them in an interesting position where if they do continue to play very well and if they do manage to win a cup, that they could, I guess they will have earned, like, you know, a place in that conversation of franchises that are great right now in this particular era of hockey without actually being a franchise that garners a whole lot of attention, which I find kind of fascinating. Um, To touch on the Andre Kopitar thing, uh, people who are in the know, both like players and maybe, you know, broadcasters or whoever who have personal relations with uh, personal relationships, personal relations sounds terrible, personal relationships (laughs) with these guys are always mentioning how if... If, uh, in talking about the Selkie race, if Andre Kopitar wanted to, he could be putting up, like, 90 points all the time. Um, he could be a star at the detriment of the team, but he's always going to choose the team over his individual successes. Um, and I like that about Kopi. That is very nice. Um, I think that's true of the entire Kings team in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's, there's no one really going out there, um, and they... I mean, they all play for each other. It's it's a very cliched line, but it really seems like they do. No one kind of lets someone out to dry, leaves someone out to dry um, on the ice in order to get, like, their goal. Yeah. Um, the most important part of that radio interview was, of course, sort of insinuating that they have the potential to win the Stanley Cup again in the next two years. So <laughs> I would like that to happen. Jury's okay. Uh, there's no question that this one's a penalty. A large five-minute major penalty power play for the Kings. Five-minute major headlines, starting with Sidney Crosby. After we talk about the Kings of the Dynasty, we're going to talk about the guy who is always the guy for the league. Um, has reached 100 points this season. He actually is at 102 now, and he reached it on Tuesday. He got an assist on Chris Kunitz's goal in the game against the Carolina Hurricanes to reach 100 points. The last time Sidney Crosby had a season this productive was, in fact, the last time Sidney Crosby played almost a full season. Sidney Crosby is great. So so then, like, the conversation is, with the awards coming up, Sidney Crosby in the Hart Trophy, and should he get the Hart Trophy? Yes. Do you think so? Sure. I think so as well. And I think, like, 
the arguments are weird, like, against it, because it's sometimes like, oh, well, you know, he's on a team with Evgeny Malkin, and other guys who can score really well and whatnot. And I'm like, all right, but are all those guys putting up 100 points? Because Sidney Crosby is, and nobody else in the league is. Like, the closest, all right, so the closest that Sidney Crosby has gotten to playing a full season is 2009-2010, he played 81 games. He literally missed one game. And that season, he put up 109 points. The season before that, 103 points. Second NHL season, he played 79 games, put up 84, and then his probably the only season, or I'm sorry, he put up 120 in the 2006-2007 year. And then 2005-2006, his first year in the NHL, he put up 102 points. So it's weird to me when people argue against the idea of Sidney Crosby having the Hart Trophy because this is just how he plays and how he produces all the time when he's healthy. And to me, it doesn't matter who he's playing with. If this is your individual effort consistently, you're the most valuable player. <laughs> you just are. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, I mean, I would I would agree with that, especially since his team has been a revolving door of injured players, and so he's kind of made sure that, you know, they stayed in it. I know that a lot of times people trend towards the end of the season playoff push, like when Alex Ovechkin got it. And it was because he single-handedly dragged the Capitals from the ashes in order to make it to the playoffs. Um, or, you know, Corey Perry uh, when he was on that, his tear. Um, or things like that. But there is something to be said about being am- amazingly consistent and consistently amazing. Uh, that deserves a shiny trophy. I mean, that goes like in hand with my... Uh also talking about Alexander Ovechkin, when people want to argue who the best shooter is in the league, I'm like, it's the dude who scores the most goals. What are you talking about? (laughs) It's Alexander Ovechkin. (laughs) Why is this even a conversation? I just don't understand people who overthink things. Like, it's not Phil Kessel, who is great and who I love watching. And it's not Patrick Kane, who is also a very, like, mesmerizing player to a lot of people. But it's Alexander Ovechkin. It's the person who scores the most goals and does almost every season. So yeah, but uh, but anyway, the other thing that was actually very um, entertaining during that Carolina game, other than his 100 points, was at the end of the game, because Pittsburgh actually lost that game, Sidney Crosby got very frustrated, and Jay Harrison sort of came at him to try to check him, and I guess it seemed like maybe Crosby thought that Harrison's elbow was a little too high, and dude has had a, lo- a problem with his head. Injury, injury-wise, so I could see how he's sensitive about that. Anyway, turns around and kind of pushes Jay Harrison and then kind of grabs him by the throat and uh, uh, slams him onto the ice. It was, in fact, just like um, a WWE move by The Rock, known as The Rock Bottom. It was pretty intense. And then The Rock tweets after he sees a clip of it, good form, Sid. I love that. <laughs> Um, I love The Rock anyway, uh, but the fact that he decided to comment on it (laughs) was spectacular. I love that he watched it, and I love that um, he gave him a nice compliment. (laughs) I hope somebody told Sidney Crosby how The Rock felt. I hope Sidney Crosby was secretly just, like, pleased Mm -hmm. as punch for it. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Because you know, like, so many of these NHL guys love to, I don't know, they talk about it randomly sometimes, they like to wrestle, (laughs) and it's kind of hilarious to me so I I like to imagine that a number of them were just like huge WWE fans and so if you did tell them that some wrestler was like 
this guy thinks you're awesome. They would be stoked. I mean, me and Sidney Crosby are the same age, and I definitely watched the WWE when it was still called WWF, and would be so delighted if The Rock told me that anything I did was great. I have no reference of the WWE or the WWF. I never watched it as a kid. Um, but I would still be delighted by The Rock telling me I was great. Yeah, so I hope somebody passed out that message to him. Um, and I also love that it happened. I love that he pretty much did execute a rock bottom against a random hockey player. Especially, like, Jay Harrison is, like, 6'4". And weighs more than Sidney Crosby, but he was like, you know what? Down, though. I feel like that's something that Mike Richards would do. True. True. And Mike Richards is way more insane than Sidney Crosby. (laughs) (laughs) Or so it seems, anyway. Such a little rage monster. He has to pull out some wrestling move sometime soon. (laughs) Uh... To counter, I thought this would be fun to mention just to sort of counter, like, we talked a couple podcasts ago about those ridiculous Patrick Kane and Jeff Carter articles that were, like, like narrative poetry, pretty much. <laughs> but uh, someone who does this kind of thing intentionally and is very entertaining is Daryl Razor Ray, who um, covers the Dallas Stars a lot right now. Uh, so he posted, actually, maybe Diane, you should talk about this because you're the one that told me about it. <laughs> um, I love it because I love listening to Razor Ray, uh, do the broadcasts for the Dallas Stars. Every time I watch a Dallas Stars game, I always go towards their broadcast because it's great. And I've heard interviews with him outside of, you know, color and play by play. Um, and he seems like a swell dude. So when I saw this article, I was like, this sounds about right. Um, So he wrote an article called Razor with an Edge, Deconstructing the Most Handsome Picture of a Bench Interview Ever. And this is basically just a narrative on the Stars website that reads a bit like those extreme, (laughs) um, like, macro meme type things. um, Or kind of like a, you know, like, look at your boyfriend, now look away, now look back (laughs) kind (laughs) kind of deals. And it is, it's just like a intense breakdown of this picture of him interviewing Tyler Sagan and talking about his jawline and how good looking he is and the suit that, uh, that Razor is wearing. Um, okay, good. He did mention it. He said, look at the picture again. Now look away. Now back to the pic. Now back to me. It stays with you, doesn't it? It's like a modern cave painting telling the story of this titanic verbal clash between two talented and insanely cosmetically gifted homo sapiens. Just be grateful you've been invited to be a voyeur. Like, this is how you do it. This is how you can be possibly truthfully dramatic. You know, he may mean every single word that he's saying, but uh, this is the proper method of disseminating that information. Yeah. Um, So it 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 was great. I, I loved it. I, I really liked it. And I like uh, seeing that there are some sports writers who actually get it. I, I, I just like people who get it and have a little fun with it versus, like, you know, people who write about Jeff Carter as a piece of luggage and are just 100% serious. Um, which I've is... back read a, a bunch of other stuff that he's written. It's all garbage. Oh, no. Like, some of it's wor- – like, that one was just kind of funny and weird. Some of the other stuff is just legitimately terrible. Just bad. Oh, man. Just bad. Oh, awful. Oh, man. So, you know, thumbs up to Razor Ray. Our last headline that we want to talk about, I mean, we talked about fighting earlier, so why not end it on talking about fighting between some other teams? The Blues and Avalanche played against each other on Saturday, and it was kind of a physical game throughout, but not really big. It was, you know, just some stuff after the whistle. And then the third period turned into a huge penalty party and an all-out brawl. They combined for 120 penalty minutes just in the third period. 
That's insane. Nuts. Uh, the number of misconducts that there are, and, and just, like, the manner that it kind of was happened was just weird, because this isn't... Their spots are clinched, and have been clinched for quite some time now. I don't know what they're doing. They just hate each other, apparently, randomly. <laughs> Does St. Louis just want to hate everyone in the Central Division? I like, think Don't so. they already have a vicious... Uh, rivalry with the Blackhawks, and so now they're just going after Colorado as well. They're like, more, we can take all the rivalries possible. What happened in the third period is it started with a hit. Kevin Shattenkirk actually had his own stick up in the air a little bit, and Patrick Bordelow checked him and sent Shattenkirk's stick into his own face and made him bleed. And then a few minutes after that, Brendan Morrow, during like a commercial break, too, because there had been some stuff in front of the net and then it continued during a commercial break, Brendan Morrow cross-checked John Mitchell pretty much almost in the throat, like across the collarbone, almost in the throat. And then after that, which I think was, in a lot of ways, probably the real tipping point was Nathan McKinnon was dumping in the puck and David Backus went to check him as he was doing that, which is allowed, but it didn't work. Like, he didn't really knock McKinnon down at all. And then, in fact, McKinnon sort of shoved back. And when he shoved back, Bacchus fell onto the ice and then took exception to that because he had just, you know, been embarrassed. And he went after Nathan McKinnon and dropped the gloves. But then Nathan McKinnon never dropped the gloves. So then it ended up being David Bacchus attacking the, you know, captain of the Blues team, (laughs) attacking this 18-year-old rookie who, you know, is a skilled player and very important to the Avalanche and eventually, with two minutes left in the third period, it turned into a line brawl. Those are always fun. Um, my favorite picture is going around uh, the internet. It's, I think, the on Puck Daddy. I've seen it on Reddit as well. Uh, just of... It looks like the Blues player is headless. Oh, no. Um, and uh, But, like, the referee looks like he's screaming. Oh. Um, like, what about the children? Or just, like, <laughs> freaking out about what's going on. And it's just a solid, a solid picture as to <laughs> what happened during this game. Things got so heated. What do you think about the David Backus, Nathan McKinnon thing? What do you think about that? Like, having a guy like David Backus, who is known for being very physical and whatnot, like, go after a skilled player on a team. Do you think it matters? Like, I saw some people, like, mentioning the fact that, you know, like I just did, like, David Backus has been around a while, and he's, like, attacking this 18-year-old kid. If you're David Backus, should you feel like a total idiot? Yeah, in this case, yes. I don't always support the whole thing about, oh, that's a skill player, you don't go after them, because sometimes skill players are dicks, and they True. know that they can get away with it, and they shouldn't be allowed to do that. But in this case, uh, all the checks were legal. It was fine, you know? It wasn't, and he just lost his temper. I thought that it was dumb. Yeah. It did seem dumb. Especially, like, when you look at the replay, he gets mad because Nathan McKinnon knocks him down. But that wouldn't have happened if you had executed your check better, David Backus. I'm sorry you were embarrassed. And glorious Backus, like, you know, strikes again. (laughs) So true. Anyway, that's pretty much all we have for this week, the things that have caught our attention. Is there anything else that you want to say before we get out of here? Um, I hope that the Kings win the rest of their games. Um... God, fingers crossed. And I am just really excited for the postseason. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm excited for some California hockey. Yes. Uh, yeah, so we only have one more episode of this podcast for the regular season next weekend, and then it's playoff time. And uh, I don't know. I assume we'll do everything 
by the week, but we'll probably figure that out and let you guys know what, what is actually going to be up for the postseason. And um, until then, like Diane said, let's hope that the Kings win all three of those games and set some records and also win the Jennings, and that would be great. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, friends. Be good to each other. If you don't follow us already, we are at ThanksBud. Individually, I am at Chanel Berlin. And I'm at AKA Diane Fan. And uh, that's where you can find us if you need to say things to us, which we are always open to. So, yeah. Other than that, we're going to get out of here. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye, friends. Bye, all.